Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Measuring the Score. I'm excited for this episode. Why is that, Chris? Because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite films. This is the one movie I saw in the theaters more than once. I saw it a total of three, no, maybe four times in the theaters. Used cars? <laughs> no, no, we're not talking about used cars. Although that is a, that is a great, that is, not, that is a great film. Don't get me wrong. It's funny, but uh, no, no, we're talking about Twister. <laughs> <laughs> with a score by Mark Mancina, which we've talked about Mark on the show before because yes, we, we covered have. Bad Boys, and you still have not seen Speed. I'm sorry, you I fail. fail. You you fail big time. Life happens. Well, I understand life <laughs> happens, but you you fail bad. <laughs> and I fail too because I said on the on the episode that I was going to get you to watch Speed. I still haven't done it yet. Well, and we the got... DVD is like literally right behind me. We have a vacation coming up, so yeah, maybe exactly. On the vacation. So you're gonna watch Speed and Speed Two. Oh, I, I'm so glad that you're you're telling me what I'm going to do <laughs> on my vacation. That's great, great. <laughs> this is gonna be fantastic. <laughs> but I'm also excited because we've got a very special guest today. So I, you know what? I'm just gonna quit talking. I'm going ahead and re- you know take this off and mute and let him talk. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy from Soundtrack Alley. Hey, buddy. Hello. How's it going, man? I'm doing really good. We're so happy you're here with us today. <laughs> yeah. Finally. Yeah, finally. After yeah. our Twister mishap last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Well, I saw the numbers and I saw the the warning picture yeah. that you yeah. sent. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow." And I That's nothing like here. Yeah, no. The irony no. is is that it was supposed to be on the day that we were supposed to, you know, uh, record Twister and then we had, you know, the whole county was blinking red, you know, yeah. we had a, a tornado warning. <laughs> yeah, we had an actual tornado like coming straight for the house. It was going off. The phones were going off. We were hiding in our in our bathroom. And I was like, wow, this is the irony. We we're supposed to record with Randy today, and there's an actual tornado to talk about Twister. This is great. <laughs> and it was a good thing we did not record. <laughs> or, that's right. That's right. Or it would have been a ma- made for a really good episode. I mean, oh, we got to stop the podcast. We got to go. Tornado's coming. Yeah, you hear the sirens <laughs> in the back. <laughs> but all is well. We yeah, survived. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's all right. good. So, Randy, real quick, tell our listeners about Soundtrack Alley and where they can find your podcast. Well, Soundtrack Alley is a podcast that's a music and movie discussion podcast. Um, I take a movie that's genuinely from my childhood or a film that I've seen that holds a special place in my heart. And that I'll talk about it. Sometimes I'll have a guest on the show quite frequently on the show in the past. Um, when I was just just by myself, I would have Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound. Um, I have joined with uh, Eric for uh, Cinematic Sound Radio and have become my own podcast on there. And I'm just really excited to be a part of that too because it includes me in more. And um, 
I've always had a love for soundtracks and you can find my podcasts through, you know, wherever you're listening to podcasts for Soundtrack Alley. It's Soundtrack and then Space Alley. So <laughs> it's it's pretty simple to find my show. Yeah. <laughs> Just Google um, it. Yeah. I I have interviewed a few composers. Um yeah, I probably now I want to talk about that. that you, I've at least done twenty five. You did a inter, a great interview with Frank Elfman. Mm -hmm. I did, I did. Uh, that was that was a fantastic interview. I just I had so much fun with that interview, and I mean the episode. I didn't realize when I finally was editing all the episode, it turned out to be two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long episode, but there was a lot of music What's and there was adage? a lot of information. I think time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it. That's it. Well, it's it's a good thing you mentioned uh Eric. Uh Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound Radio. He he was he, we've talked several times on Twitter before. Awesome guy. He's he's joined our uh, our one and only Twitter space that we did. But Eric also helped me out by sending me a zip file of the entire Twister score. So, Eric, if you're listening to this, which I'm pretty sure you will be, thank you so much, buddy. Seriously, that that was awesome, man. You, you've always been a supporter of the show, and you know now we've got Randy on here. So next, I guess we got to get Eric on here. Right, exactly. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is gonna be great. So, Randy. All right. So we're gonna start talking about the Twister score by Mark Mancina. Now, Twister came out in 1995. And like like I just mentioned before, I I saw this film three or four times in the theaters, and the score was the one thing I remember because it when it opens up with the opening titles, you get that very soft, eerie, you know, almost atmospheric score that he does. Now, the one thing I can honestly say about this score is it does a fantastic interpretation of wind with mm -hmm. strings. So. You know, when I, I've never listened to this score in its entirety before. Fail. Be quiet. <laughs> I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> so I haven't listened to this score before now. Uh, so when I, I went through it the first time and I'm just like, eh, you know, this is kind of blasé to me. I, I, in the middle, I, I kind of lost track in the middle. You know, the very first piece that I listened to was very Americana. It reminded me of Midwest. It reminded me of, you know, Oklahoma the musical. Um, he he used elements in that in that this orchestral in nature. And then the second piece he he brought in, there was an electric guitar that he brought in to kind of complement, you know, the Americana feel. Um, and it was pretty uplifting in places. And then you know it it sounded competitive in places with tempoing. And you know I noticed that it kind of overlapped with the first piece. And then like in the middle, I kind of got bored the first time I listened to it. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, Chris really likes this for a reason. I need to listen to it again. <laughs> and so, you know, the more I listened to it, the more I started to like it and appreciate it, you know. And as Chris mentioned, um, they did a really good job with um, the feeling of wind. Uh, I... For my non-musical people out there, which I know you listen, uh, he used uh, in the drive-in theater piece uh, crescendos and decrescendos. And when I talk about crescendo, that means that the music gets louder. 
A decrescendo is when the music starts to die down. He uses sequences of crescendos and decrescendos to make it sound like a twirling motion, and it makes it sound windy. And then he adds chorus to do that. So he has got this chorus element in there that does these crescendos and decrescendos. It makes it sound very reminiscent of twister-like motion, and I really liked that. So, you know, my opinion of the score changed once we got to the cow piece <laughs> and the drive-in theater because then I noticed, oh, wait, this is, this is wonderful. I love that technique that he used, you know. So, you know, it's my two cents. So I I really like the score myself because like it's it's really interesting how Mark really brings out the different instruments in the film and through the score because like he uses so many different variations of strings and then you get the low horns right uh, through the piece but also the choir I love choir Um, there's female and male vocalists that are used in the choir but another element of the score that really makes the twister come alive is how the strings are manipulated to sound like an animal yes so the 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 score has this growl right like it at certain moments yes yeah so, you know, I when I, I, I briefly mentioned the cow piece, and I noticed that in the cow piece that I, I even asked Chris because I had well, I had now, now let's 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 <laughs> let's think about this here. There's a cow. Right. I had it turned <laughs> up and I'm like, pieces. that sounds like a cow. <laughs> what did he do to make it sound like a cow? <laughs> and I I mean I listened real closely at, you know, several times. I'm like that's really intelligent, you know, how he did that. You've got this cow, which we'll talk about, you know, when we start talking about the movie, flying around in the scene. But yeah, the cow. score piece sounds like... Another cow. There's a cow <laughs> in the wind. I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was uh, very unique. Now, that was uh, Trevor Rabin on guitars, uh, right, Randy? I think I think um, I think it was Trevor Rabin on guitars. I remember because I had the the score... Or in the actual whole film, yes. Okay. But not the ending piece. Yeah, no, the ending piece. That was uh, that was Eddie that was Van- Eddie Van Halen. That was Eddie Van Halen. Respect the wind. Yeah. Uh, that's the name mm-hmm. of that track. It, beautiful piece. Chris Seriously. loves that mm-hmm. one. It, it, it's not my favorite though. I do like it. I think it was great. And he rests in peace. Yes, sadly. Wonderful guitars. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's just it was. I I, I hated when that happened. I really did. It's our uh, childhood. <laughs> what, yeah, seriously. Uh, but, but this was one of his his pieces that was more original Mm -hmm. like you know for the most part eddie van halen was solid rock guitarist but with this piece he was able to like create this orchestral element to his guitar and And beautiful it's just amazing yeah it was it was it really was it was it was very haunting but at the same time, it it was it was hauntingly beautiful. It, it had a style about it that was just it, it really you know it does suggest the title it makes you respect the wind and it, and it, it works. It, it's a great great ending to the entire film. But which you know they had the humans being song in in the film for the walk in the woods sequence, and that was the one track I remember when Eric sent me the score. 
I told him I cannot wait for the Rakita scene because Mark Mancina had the orchestral side of the song Humans Being, had it playing, had this huge action moment, you know, this, you know, the orchestra's coming in, you know, the notes are really sharp and fast and moving. And then you get into the rock song, Humans Being. And I remember in the theaters watching that sequence and the music, I was like, man, this music's really cool. And then it got into the song. I'm like, wait a minute, the score just matched the rock song. I'm like, whoa, I've never, well, I've never heard that happen before at that time. I was like, that is amazing. It made a, a very uh, nice transition because then it just tapered out and then it had the, actually the soundtrack piece in there as, as opposed to the score. That was great. It was a nice marrying of the two. It was a marrying of score and source. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I guess that'll work. Scores. Scores music. Yeah, scores music. Scores music. Yeah, there we go. Scores music. <laughs> so, Randy, real quick, when you first listened to the score on its own by itself, what was your initial feeling with the Wheatfield and the Hunt Begins track? What, like, what, 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 what kind of sense did you get from it? Exhilaration. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. That was like the perfect answer. Because. When I when I first bought the score, um, it was after I had seen the film. Okay. However, um, the score is far different in order from the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score does not follow the film, which is fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> but at the very beginning of the commercial release for the score, it's really interesting because you hear part of the orchestra like the the people in the orchestra saying, all right, we don't want to be too soft when we begin. And then it goes, boom. You know, <laughs> you, you instantly get that exhilaration. Those strings just like take off. Like you are in a car, you are driving down the road, you're heading toward to see this twister. You know, it, it's an exhilaration. And... um Sorry, I get really excited with this because <laughs> no, no, and, and as, it's just one yeah. of those pieces that just like takes off and um and it carries you through and and you've got the guitar playing and you've got the string and you've got the low brass and it's just it all blends together and it's just like come on let's go let's go let's go you know it reminded me it was really uplifting you know and you know i visualized in my mind a little girl skipping through the field to her grandma's house with a basket i mean because it has that energy to it and it has movement so not only you've got this piece that's high energy you know very much uh reminiscent of overtures but you've got this piece playing that has this uh, momentum to it in these moving parts and it, it gives it to you know gives into the energy and the movement of the piece it, it is really nice I really liked it well I, I like mm-hmm. how it will, which we'll talk about it in the film because you, you get this very horrific moment at the beginning of the film there's no score hardly right and then you get this you know uplifting track right off the bat with this sweeping you know helicopter shot and everything and then you immediately kind of relax a little bit like oh wow this is going to be great and then that's the wheat field track and then you get into the hunt begins track and that leslie was listening to it and it was her first time listening to it and she was going well that's you know this doesn't really make me think of a tornado this doesn't make me think of a storm i was like it makes me think of pirates 
pirates going after their treasure. And if you think about it, that really does match with the story because these storm chasers are tra- chasing their treasure. They're chasing these tornadoes. That's their treasure. They are modern day pirates, in you know, in a sense. And the score really, really reflected that. You had to bring pirates in. Well, in, naturally, because you know we did Jaws <laughs> and John Williams talking about you know oh this is a pirate movie. So yeah, this is using th- my love for pirates. Exactly. <laughs> I love pirates too. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love we pirates? We love pirates. <laughs> I'm going to do a pirate episode. <laughs> pirates of the Caribbean. Wear a patch the entire yeah. time. <laughs> I'll have a plastic. See, coat. all right, so we, we, we get, you know, they, you have actors who really get into their roles and everything else. We really get into our podcasting. We have actual tornadoes <laughs> coming for us. When we do Twister for pirates, we're going to do it on a boat with eye patches. <laughs> Those are great. You might hear the sound of the sea in the background. <laughs> I must go down to the sea again. Exactly. Lonely sea in the sky. <laughs> you know, you could just like add in a sound effect in the background. Yeah. No, that's the lazy man's no, way. We want to be realistic, Randy. Come on. <laughs> but no. Actually, uh, I'll, I'll add it in post. It'll be fine. <laughs> I No, I agree with Chris. It, it, it's very much, you've got these, their treasure is getting the information from the twister. So, um, I mean, you're absolutely, to me, correct. Now, Brandy, uh, what track is your favorite from this score? I I, I know the entire score is is probably one of your one of your favorites because I can tell. I like all of it. <laughs> I like. Yeah, I'm, that's what the answer I'm waiting for. I like all of it. But what what is the one track to you that when you besides Wheatfield because I know that's one of them uh, that really stands out that when you hear the Twister score, it'd be like you think of that score piece um it's hard to put it into thoughts because there are a multiple amount of tracks that really stand out to me for that Mm -hmm. but if i were to put it into words as i look up use your words the score (laughs) on a iPad. Um, oh, come on. Where are you? Okay. Well, that's not going to work. Oh, um, we're going to try something else. Insert Jeopardy Let's music. See. Right? We can't do that for so, copyright, copyright reasons. I know. Exactly. Um, but I was thinking of, okay, I have the list now. Um, I was thinking the drive-in twister right that's our favorite (laughs) because for the simple fact that it has so many elements of unique instruments being used i mean you have the male choir Mm -hmm. you have the female choir you have the main theme being woven through with very slight strings Mm -hmm. like it's very subtle in the background you have the whole theme for the film uh that's from like wheat fields Mm -hmm. and uh and then you get which is one of my favorite elements of how mark mancina did this uh is the rolling growl Mm -hmm. uh through uh, what he represented as the twister being like an animal or a monster coming to attack and uh and it just it it brought up so many 
senses in my mind. And in the film, it really heightens your awareness because, well, when we get into trivia, are we at trivia yet? No, no, not, no, yet. not yet, not yet, not yet. We'll, we'll, but, we'll get to okay, that. so I'll get there. <laughs> but um, there's a very specific thing with some elements of this film that really shine when you have a good stereo system um, because you can hear it. Mm-hmm. You can hear the debris blowing in the wind. You can hear the debris blowing in like around you. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very disturbing because you're you look behind you like <laughs> where where did that come from <laughs> right you know and but this piece really represents a lot of those elements uh, to the score that really uh, show the utter terror of what a tornado can be and. I mean, obviously, you guys have just experienced <laughs> tornadoes just recently. Um, one experience me is that uh, several times when my family would be uh, journeying in Kansas, go figure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we would have to stop and get out and find shelter from a tornado because they'd have frequent storms so yeah but it just it 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 brings up all those memories it has that specific piece just has the love weight to it so you know you you touched upon the reoccurring motif there is a reoccurring motif that he sets the uh at the very beginning and you'll hear it subtly throughout um the rest of the score so you know, you've got the um, very beginning piece that we just discussed, you know, the uplifting piece, the one with all the movement, and then you've got this motif that occurs in there. And in the piece that you just mentioned for the drive-in theater, you do hear it. You hear it subtly. It's not uh, upfront and loud, but it's there. It's really subtle. And, you know, one of the things I really liked about the piece is that it gradually builds. It's not, you know, loud all of a sudden. It gradually builds, you know, and I mentioned before that he uses a sequence of crescendos and decrescendos to to make that growling sound, to make that sound of the spinning motion. You can feel it, you know, um, the movement in the uh, the piece, which to me is just amazing. It was really um, intelligently done with how he how he did that, especially with the strings. And then when you add the choir, it adds that sense of eeriness to it. You know, Chris and I have in the past talked about utilization of a choir. You know, you could use a choir to make your your moments really sad. You can use a choir to make things sound uplifting. But I think in this instance, he used that choir, especially those male voices, to create more of a, a feeling of suspense. Um, and it, 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 um, it helped make that piece, you know, very... Uh, representative of the twister i you know and i that's what i really liked about it that that piece in particular i think that is the embodiment of having to deal with a tornado warning having to deal with that terror that a tornado is coming after you every time i think of you know having to deal with that in in person i i feel like that piece really does set the mood because it does it 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 gives you that terror that this thing is an animal it is a monster it is coming after you It, it and it can't be stopped and, there, and that's the truth, you know, that is the, 
that is the true terror that is of tornadoes that they cannot be stopped if they're coming after you that's it you know they're they're coming and this this piece really reflects that now i remember when they had the universal studios in orlando ride twister the ride and we went on it and uh i remember it was an exact replica of the drive-in movie theater randy did you do you have have you bring on that okay so no. it it's it's a smaller scale, but it's the drive-in theater, and you got the yellow Jeep over there to the left-hand side, and you got the red Dodge over there, and you've got um, a screen playing in front of you, and it's playing, I think it was uh, People Under the Stairs by Wes Craven. But in the very <laughs> back, you can see, like, some clouds moving very slowly and everything else. And then, you know, you hear the uh, tornado sirens come up, and the, the clouds start moving faster and faster and faster and everything else. And this music starts up, and I was listening to it. And I was like, "Wow, I just I don't remember that in the movie. Maybe there's something they made for the ride." No, it was an actual score piece from the film. It was the Finger of God uh, track for the giant F five at the end of the movie. Uh, it was the score that was cut out of the thing. It is like uh, this is the one score track. When I listened to it, I was like, "This does not sound like the rest of the film. It's just you know sporadic." hits and choir coming in there with the day day crescendos and crescendos coming in and it's just it's all over the place and at the same time i'm when watching the film i'm I'm like okay i understand why they took it out but at the same time i want to experience that because that is so sporadic and weird and it kind of works with the rest of the score but at the same time it doesn't but you know it kind of mimics the the actual nature of a tornado that's that's what i was getting at i mean it would yeah. be like the debris coming at you and everything else so i think you know and listening to that at the twister ride and they had that track going i was like i'm glad they did that i'm glad they put that score piece in there because it worked it, it gave you that sense of like what's going on you know like he was like randy was talking about with the drive-in theater piece the finger of god uh score cue when it happened it worked it it worked for the for the ride and everything else so yeah um yeah definitely the drive-in theater uh score score cue score track for us as well is was one of our favorites Isn't and water spout and i water like water spout. spout i like cow i like that one yeah. i like i like the i like the first like twister I like the first one. I like it all. Oh, yeah, right. like, yeah, let's just say I'm not that. Biased. We, we like the great. whole score. We'll just go ahead and end it right here. We like the whole score. Everybody have a good night. Thank you for joining Measuring the Score podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, Chris and I have talked about before the scores that you can sit down and listen to the, in their entirety, kind of like a, a classical music piece. Um, there are scores out there, and I know I've mentioned it more than once, like Beverly Hills Cop. You've got Fulton Meyer's theme over and over and over again. It's really choppy. You know, that one you, you wouldn't be able to sit down and listen to his entirety. But this one here, you you, you can and you should. Um, it's it's really great, you know, and it's got a nice continuity to it uh, from start to finish. And uh, it's just a wonderful, you know, composition. All right. There's one word that really stands out for me for this score. It's it's very organic. Right. Yes. And we yes. like organic it, things. Yeah. It Orga- makes it- organic scores, uh, they they tend to have more intelligence behind them, a, a better feel behind right. them. And it really gives a sense of the composer on how brilliant composers, you know, can be and everything else. And and Mark Mancina is one of those composers. He is absolutely brilliant at what he does. I mean, because we talked about Bad Boys and how 
I mean, there were some moments where it sounded a little generic, but it was still there is like there was so many moments in there very where it catchy was motifs. very catchy motifs, very fun. Twister mm-hmm. is that same example. It's it's so many different moments with this score where it's very catchy and it just works on its own. Now, on its own, it's just fantastic. Now, against the film, when the film first starts up. Now, this is when we're getting into our film section and trivia and, and trivia. So, Randy, get ready for this. <laughs> we know you're ready. <laughs> All right. So, when the I talked about it before. When the film opens up, you get the title card. You get those Universal Pictures and Warner Brothers Pictures, which, let's talk about that for a moment. Universal Pictures and Warner Brothers Pictures presents. That, that right there was like, wait, two companies working together? Huh? Okay. You know, and then you get the Amblin, you know, an Amblin production, which, you know, right then and there, Spielberg worked in this, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, who now runs Star Wars. And you get this slight, subtle score, and it's it's kind of eerie, kind of, you know, haunting a little bit. And you get this, you know, beautiful scenery of, you know, the dark clouds and the storm rolling in and everything else. And right note. Yep, go ahead. I have a note on that. Go ahead. Uh, before that even happens, you see the word twister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a very simple, subtle, like it's almost like 3D lettering mm-hmm. yeah. of Twister. But the cool thing about that is that it it actually like swirls away like a Twister. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love and that's that. The cool thing about that is it it works for the film, but it also like shows like even with the Warner Brothers logo, um, the the Warner Brothers logo disappears into the storm yes yeah and, and i didn't notice that that's cool until you yeah. know this last time we watched it and i'm like chris i don't remember that style of being like that now, now there's one thing about that that opening sequence is after that and you get to see the the beautiful scenery of the storms rolling in and everything else if you look next time you watch this film uh the, down at the uh, bottom of the uh the screen you'll see like uh some grass moving and like the uh, the wind moving and stuff like that moving a little bit of the grass and stuff if you look, there's an editing loop on there. There's oh, yeah, like a, a piece of a uh, piece of weed or something. It's like sticking up and it kind of bends it down. Then it pops back up really fast and it and it does it every, and it's like on a, on a sink. And I'm sitting there. And that's the, the only thing I can look at every time I watch this movie. Every time I notice it and it's like an editing Ignore loop. Ignore it. I can't. I cannot let it. It's like yeah, an OCD. Yeah, he mentioned thing. that last time. He's like, oh, there's that editing loop. What? I, it's like that's the only thing I can fixate on every time I watch it. I mean. Now it doesn't tr- detract from the movie. I love it, but there, you know, there's a lot of moments like that in this movie because they use actual storm footage and everything else. The one thing I used to watch a lot, aside from the movie, was the, the HBO behind the scenes making of Twister. So they had actual storms going on while they were filming because they really filmed this in Tornado Alley, and it, you know, the what they had to do go through to make this movie is like insane. And they used real storm footage from real storm chasers. And, you know, and you get this, you know, terror filled moment of the the dad, you know, young Joe, her mom, Toby the dog, you know, going through this whole thing. They're going to the the storm storm uh cellar. Storm cellar down out in front, you know, and the you know, sadly, the tornado takes the life of the father. There's no score. There's no score, right? There's a lack of score. Um, you know, we've talked about before that uh, pacing. Sorry, Chris, <laughs> I'm drifting again. 
She drifts a lot with a microphone, so yeah. I have to grab it. You'll see him constantly jerking it. Um, but no. It's the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a little too big for the wind to blow me away. <laughs> anyway, that, um, you know, especially in horror film, they'll allow the silence to build tension. You know, you don't always have that presence of a score, you know, in certain movies. And this movie did that, especially at the very beginning. Um, you had this tension, you know, filled moment that has no score. But the lack of score there works because it builds that tension and it yeah. builds that um, anxiety of this, this, you know, oncoming disaster. And, you know, to me, it was, you know, well-placed uh, lack of, you know, lack yeah. of uh, sound. They usually do that on purpose. Oh, they yeah. did it in Jurassic Park. They've done it yes. in multiple right. Spielberg movies. Um, usually John Williams even has suggested uh, when to not play the score. Yeah, and you know so, that, that's a mark of a good artist. It's a mark of a yeah. good artist, you know, to 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 plan for that. Okay, yeah, we're not going to have any score here. Um, you know, we have uh, seen it in a lot of the movies that we do. But granted, we have seen in in listened to score pieces that shouldn't have been. We're like, who did this? Because this is ridiculous. Yeah, I need to take this out. Yeah. Now, one of the things I was kind of uh, worried about watching this movie again. Because I have such a love for this movie, I was like, "Oh God, is it this going? This going to be one of those movies that go back and watch it? I haven't seen in a couple of years, and then it's like terrible." And you know, and right off the bat, you get the not so great CGI of the satellite roaming around the Earth. I, I saw that. I didn't I, even care. Uh, you know, yeah, I I wasn't going to let it bother me, but then I just kept looking at it. And I'm like, ah, that hasn't aged very well. But then. You get this whole right. moment, uh, you know, you get the NSL, then you get the wheat fill sequence and everything else. And then when the first tornado does finally show up, I was like, it still works. It, the, the CGI still holds up to this day. It still works. A lot of places look pretty good. Yeah, it really did. I mean, for 1995, 1996, I mean, that was fantastic. I mean, to, to hold up after all this time, I think I think they, you know, nailed it. They headed out of the park on that one. I like the mummy. <laughs> yes, unlike the mummy. <laughs> we we've talked about that yes. plenty of times. The CGI and the mummy has not held Especially up. Especially the Scorpion King. Uh uh-uh. oh. Oh man. Oof. That looks rough. Rough, Oof. rough. Oof. It was rough then. Now it's rough yeah. e- even rougher. <laughs> so Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I I like it just he just gives it one word. Agreed. <laughs> Indubitably. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, I can't say anything more because, you know, it's the that'd truth. be going into another episode. Right? So, uh, Tom Hanks was originally cast for the... What? Originally, yeah. Yes. He was the original choice for Bill. And if I recall uh, correctly from reading the trivia, he actually did a few scenes. Uh, he recorded a few scenes. He even uh, talked, um, convinced them what the wardrobe for Bill should be, which we see in the movie now. That was Tom Hanks's uh, choice, but then he kind of backed out of it because he's like, "I feel like you need a genteel Southern gentleman," he said, "and I don't fit this part." So Tom Hanks suggested Bill Paxton because he was working with Bill. I'm so glad that didn't happen. I love Tom Hanks, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Robert Langdon from the Da Vinci Code. At that time? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, think about this, though, is that 
Bill Paxton and Tom Hanks worked together on Apollo 13. And that's yes. why I suggested him so, because he knew yeah. from Apollo 13. Yeah. And okay. Bill Paxton is a brilliant actor. Yes. Oh, we yes. love him. We love uh, him. He's so good. I, I am so upset that he, he was taken away because he, he is such a fantastic actor. Yeah. Chris is really upset about that. I, I really am. I mean, because it, it's, it's, Bill Paxton was one of those actors. Whenever you seen, seen, saw him in a film, you immediately fell in love with him. Even if he was the uh, very annoying guy from True Lies, you still love. I love his, that movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, he was the great, you know, annoying. He was character. the great annoying guy. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> yeah. But you, you loved that part. He you was loved, perfect. He was yeah. perfect. And I mean, granted, he was he was he was really good friends with James Cameron, which is why James Cameron always casted him. In, but I mean. Just to to hear about this guy coming up from being a carpenter to becoming an actor to becoming such a fantastic and versatile actor like in this film here, I mean, it was just very dramatic role. Yes, very, very, very dramatic role. Because when you first meet Bill, he's he's wanting to hurry up and get the divorce over with because he wants to marry Melissa, and he's you know comes oh, across a little uptight. Yes, yeah. I mean, and and. He he comes across almost comedic moment where he's he's getting so angry at Joe in the car. He's just like, why can't you just shut up and just you know go along with this? And she's she's steadily egging it on. You can tell she is. The whole scene with the car moment that's like something you would do to me. What? Oh yes, definitely. No, I wouldn't. Oh, what? you know you would. Not at what all. do you have on this car? <laughs> Liability only. Yeah. Liability. <laughs> Only. It's a very pretty truck. <laughs> it's and terrible. it goes up into oh, the sky. Yes, it does. It, it goes bye bye. <laughs> it goes. It, go, it goes bye bye with the wind. <laughs> so the the film, you know, the the one moment when I mean, you get the first twister sequence. The you know the one iconic shot of the tornado, you know, busting apart the barn. Uh, again, no score. Which you get a brilliant score piece before, but during that whole sequence you get nothing. Which again is another one of those moments where it just it, it was perfect. But before I get into that one though, there was one score piece that's on the commercial release, and where they had it was uh, the Lone Ranger, the uh, Oklahoma, yeah, yes. and it emerges the into lone, it's it's the um, uh, what is it entitled? Uh, I can't. It, it's like it's just completely lost me. I can't remember the name of the track. Well, it's 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 like it's two pieces put together. Yes. Uh, it's the Lone Ranger theme. Um, the William Tell Overture. Yeah. Yes, William Tell. Yeah, Overture. it's the William Tell Overture, mm -hmm. and then it goes into Oklahoma by one of the cast members in the film, Todd Field. So it kind of blends mm -hmm. that together. And the thing about that is that it's not. It's not necessarily something that would be found on the soundtrack. Right. It would be found on the score because they're using a source piece of music that is uh, not copyright infringed. Like they could, they didn't have to get the rights to play the William Tell Overture. Mm -hmm. um, they also didn't have to get the rights to play someone singing a very small portion of Oklahoma because <laughs> it's only like 30 seconds. You right. know, what so. I thought was really cool about that sequence is that you've got 
these guys trying to psych themselves up, you know, going <laughs> yeah. to see this twister. So you've got Dusty playing his metal, you know, and then all of a sudden you hear the William Tell overture, and then all of a sudden the other guy is playing Oklahoma. You know, they 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 get to the same point of psyching themselves up, but they're different <laughs> methods that they utilize to get to that point. You know, you've got this hardcore guy, and then you've got this, you know, musical guy, and then it, it's just to me kind of humorous. But it shows you that even though those are background characters, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yes, yes. that's another brilliant actor that is you know mm. passed away. But you know, you see that there. Well, he was great for that role. Oh, he was perfect. <laughs> who who was it that was originally in mind for Dusty? I can't remember who was it. Man, I didn't said... write it down. Oh, you fail. <laughs> fail. You're gonna have, have to look to, it up. I'm gonna have to look this up. Anyway, keep talking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> keep just, going so I can look this just up. Just dismiss me. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Well, but... How about how about I talk about an experience I had um when I first saw this movie? Sure. Please. Um, so. When I first saw this movie, it was 1996. It was at a specific theater in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, this theater was known as the Indian Hills Theater. Um, it was set up right on Dodge Street in Omaha. And um, this theater was designed by the architect Richard Crowther for the Cooper Foundation. And it was just a handful of theaters designed specifically for three-strip Cinerama in the 1960s. Well, it debuted in 62 with Lawrence Harvey in The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. And it featured a 105-foot wide screen. Uh, it, it, it still is the largest screen in the U.S., that ever was made in 1977 the second screen named cameo theater was built and opened adjacent to the main theater under later management two more screens were added now carmike cinemas closed indian hills theater in october of 2000 so before that happened i had the opportunity to see twister right out of high school because I had had my graduation party, me and two friends, we went to Indian Hills to see this. The thing that I recall about that theater was it was in the big theater, the 105 foot long screen. And this is like nothing that you could imagine. It was wider than the wide screens that you see in most theaters anymore. And the thing about the building was they didn't have the DTS um, sound system. Right. They only had side speakers and front speakers. They had no rear speakers. However, they used acoustic panels behind at the ah. back. Oh, okay. Well, as we're sitting there enjoying the movie and watching the action take place and watching the debris fly through the air we're all of a sudden hearing <laughs> the debris behind us uh oh and you look behind and there's nothing <laughs> but the sound the sound was so good that it elevated your senses to hear that behind you because of the acoustic paneling 
that's how good the sound system in that building was. That's amazing. And it just, it was an amazing theater. Um, they had done several high-end movies through that theater, like the release of Star Wars back in 1977. I see, that would been amazing to see. Lawrence of Arabia and oh, wow. all these other fantastic movies that were in that theater. And what they were going to do was they were going to remodel, give it new seats, new drapery, a SDDS, DTS capable sound system. They were going to restore it to its roots with a 70 millimeter projector. Project, projector. <laughs> we know we, what we, you mean. Yeah, we got you. We do that all the time. But it was it was bought by a healthcare system. I'm and, not going to name who it was. And tore okay. it down, um, didn't they? And they tore it down uh, and turned it into a parking lot. And still, to this day, no one has used that parking lot. It is still empty. That's crap. And it will probably remain empty. That so is it's crap. really sad because it was a piece of Omaha history. And it had been petitioned to keep the theater uh, by even actors such as Leonard Malton, Charlton Heston, wow. Janet Lee, Ray Bradbury, and many more. So it was really a source, a sore spot for Omaha because that could have been a piece of history that could have been preserved and renewed and kept going but it was destroyed. Sometimes people do crap things in the name of progress, and it's really not progress when you're taking two steps back. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's that's horrible, man. It mm -hmm. really is. I, I I hate to hear that, especially when you you hold such a fond memory of something mm -hmm. like that. I mean, and a year later, I got to see Star Wars: A New Hope uh, special edition right there too. Oh, nice. you suck. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It was fantastic. I bet it, it was. was. Oh, I so bet it was. Amazing. I know. I bet it was. How was the sound for that one? Was it just as good as? Good. As a, okay. Yeah, just as good. Man, just as see, good. that just is amazing. It was amazing. See, yeah, that, that makes it, me think of. Yeah, good. that makes me think of because I, I kind of did the same thing when I saw Twister. You know, somebody said several times. Not too long after that, I got to see Star Wars special edition with my brother. So. Oh. I, at that time, I was going to Germany, so I didn't get to see anything <laughs> but a plane ride overseas. <laughs> I bet that was fun, too. I mean, you know. Uh, going to Germany. Yay. Yeah, I, I lived over there for a while. <laughs> oh, okay. I graduated That's high cool. school over there. <laughs> oh, and you okay. didn't see Twister over there. No, I didn't see Twister. <laughs> a lot of other movies. It's a lot of German shows. Like Speed. Yeah, no, I didn't see Speed. <laughs> Maybe it was all in German. It, a lot of the stuff I watched was in German. German MTV. It was oh, wow. Funny. I wonder how Bill Paxton would have sounded in, in German. Probably the same as one of the background <laughs> actors. As angry and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the sound of the tornado was a camel's moan that was slowed down in the film. That's just they slowed crazy. That, yeah, they slowed that down. And, and see, well, and I mean, camels make a very... <laughs> 
distinct um, noise. Yeah, they do. They really do. They're a lot like llamas. Right. Llamas do that too. So now this was one thing about the the film that when you told me this last night, I completely lost my mind. The film was originally <laughs> written and I believe shot as a rated R film. It was. Did you know that? Really? No. Yes. Yes. It, was it had a lot of blood in it. Yeah, a lot more blood in there. Cursing. A, yeah. So there's actually one scene at the very beginning when Helen Hunt is trying to fix the Doppler radar and you see her like mouth something and it's like, you know. It's like it, it the scene like she, in Galaxy Crest. Right. Yes. In Galaxy yes. Crest. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, it, it was it was one of those things. It, she said something. It sounded like she said, you know, dang it. But it was the way she said it was like really weird. But then when you told me that, I was like, oh, that made sense. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. not dang it. That was the f word. Oh, <laughs> it's like you know, gotcha. back in the eighties when they would dub the movies for TV, and you know, we've talked about this before, like in Back to the Future. You know, <laughs> it makes no like, sense. They turn out like jerks or something, right? right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And like, it's like, and his mouth sure, is moving. He totally said jerks. Or what is it? Uh, uh, Die Hard 2, the TBS version is uh, Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Yeah, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was my favorite one because me and me and I was at work one day and I was watching with a friend of mine and that part happened and uh, we just died laughing. I was like, Mr. Falcon. He's like, okay, yeah, that works. All right, then, you know, whatever. So it was very reminiscent of that. So when I told Chris that, I says, yeah, they kind of dubbed some of the parts. They took some of the blood out. They've resought some of the scenes. Chris is like, what? I says, yeah, they had to reduce the rating. I want to see that version. Now, Chris is like, I want to see see, the other version. I want to see the rated R version of Twister just to see how different it is. I mean, come on. We've got the producer's cut of Halloween 6. I want to see the rated R version of Twister. (laughs) I think the, the, the thing about it is that we actually have a better film. Yes. Um, because of their editing and their cutting and everything. I mean, it just, it's, it's phenomenal how good this movie really is and how it stands up. It's for me, it's one of those movies that holds that high spot like Jurassic Park. Yes. Cause Jurassic Park to me is a perfect movie <laughs> and you can fight me all no, you no, want. No, 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 no. We're not fighting loves, you at all because I. Loves Jurassic Park. It was like Jurassic Park and Twister. <laughs> I watched them so much. I wore the tapes out. Yes, tapes, VHSs. I wore yep. those tapes out. Yeah. And when Twister came out in the theater, like I said, I saw it like three or four times. And then when it came out on VHS, I ran to Kmart of all places. <laughs> yes, I just Kmart. said it. Yep. Kmart. I yep. dated myself. I worked there. It, see. <laughs> He knows all about. He knows K-Bart. all about the the blue light special and everything else. Yep. So yeah, Twister was right there in front and center of the of the store. I took off running. My grandmother dropped me off. Or, well, you know, she dropped me off. You know, said, "All right, go get it." Went and got it, come home, and I was like a kid in a candy store because I got Twister on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> so another fun trivia piece is that the beginning scene um, was filmed uh, later. So. The original concept was for Joe to have flashbacks to that moment, or nightmares, rather. And so she was actually filmed having, you know, nightmares with this scary scene and uh, that happened. Uh, they even, I think, had uh, planned on having apparitions of her dead father uh, showing before her. 
And they felt like that was not the right feel for the movie. So instead, they put the sequence at the very beginning to explain what happened uh, in continuity. So you can see, uh, you know, the the chain of events. So that was like a... of a character. Right. And that was like a hindsight, you know, sort of speak. And then they took all of that nightmare uh, stuff out of the movie. And and for mm-hmm. for good measure too, because I really don't think that would have worked. No, I agree. I, that would have been a completely different film. Would not have worked for the character. Truthfully, I mean, we we understand the obsession of her character, the reason why she's doing it, and everything else. And uh, I think that was a great choice just to go back and have that whole nightmare sequence at the beginning. You know, throw you in there, show you what it's all about, and everything else. This is their. This is our main character. This is why she is the way she is. So before we get to the questions, let's talk about our our musical piece that we all like in the scene, the actual scene itself. So, you know, at the beginning, we mentioned that there was a lack of score and that helped build tension. But now you've got this tense and filled moment <laughs> that actually has a score piece. So what are your thoughts on the score, Chris, and that uh, scene? For which scene? The, the drive-in theater. Oh, the drive-in. Oh, okay. Yes. So the drive-in theater sequence... Oh, man, because you, you get all these sequences with all these different tornadoes. You, you get the first one with the barn and everything else, and then you get the, the the sisters. You know, you have this somewhat, you know, scary moment of the two tornadoes, the water spouts going off, and then you get the comedic moment with the cow going back and forth. Cow, another cow. Actually, I think That's that was a, the same one. That was a pretty bad CGI. Yeah, that cow. was. Yeah. That was. <laughs> it was great, Randy. What are you talking about? All right, so <laughs> so then you get this moment of um, an emotional moment between Bill and Joe. They're on the mountain with the twenty with the jumper, and Bill basically confesses that he still loves Joe. Mountain? There's no mountains out there. It was a hill. hill. It was something. It was a high hill. <laughs> yeah. I'm a geologist. There are no mountains. No. It's called pancake stratigraphy for a reason. <laughs> Whatever. Pancake stratigraphy. Anyways. <laughs> The emotional moment. God. So anyway, you have all these different moments going on. And then you get, you know, the emotional beat of Melissa laying on the bed. She's contemplating. She basically just heard uh, her fiancé confess his love Actually, to his ex. isn't she outside when she hears this? Because yeah, it's, on the radio it's raining. Well, she, she's, she's got the she's TV going. In that the, rain. In the, yeah, and yeah, she's outside. She hears this in, in the rain and everything else. And she's on the bed reflecting the, that moment. And mm-hmm. then the wind starts, the, the TV starts to mess up. Uh, Which, no. I have a trivia for that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> the old the way the TVs used to be, which we all remember the old way the TVs the used CRT to be. The CRT TVs. Right. When they were on Channel 2, when you had a twister come, for whatever reason, a tornado will produce a frequency that disrupts the TV. So it'll go to static. It'll go, so, you know, they could tell when a tornado was coming because their tvs would go to static so and you get that moment with melissa mm-hmm. she's watching the tv and everything and else. it goes to static doesn't it and that and that's when the score piece slowly starts to drift in and and that's when you start getting that moment tornado's coming this is this is a this is a this is a bad bad sign so randy what was your what was your thoughts when this score piece started first up uh, with um, the with the scene with the scene with the scene, I found it, uh, it the tension built in this scene is just brilliant. Yes. Um, the directing, uh, the score, 
Um, it all blended really well together. Um, it, it really reminded me of an animal, um, of a giant, like a monster attacking this, this area, but it was so subtle in, in so many ways. It's so true to life because that's exactly how a tornado operates. Um, a tornado can just appear Stealthy. Yeah. and, and just be like, it can tear out um 1975 in omaha the there was a several mile strip of 72nd street that was tore to shreds by one tornado that was i believe it was either an f3 or an f4 um you can probably look it up like look up omaha world herald 1975 tornado and you can probably find more information about it they'll probably even show a picture my parents still have that newspaper oh, wow. from 1975 um they sh it shows like the map of how far that tornado went and it's so true to life though like tornadoes just are so terrifying because you don't really know exactly if it's over Right, because it can go up into the air again, and then come back down with a vengeance. So it 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 was a very effective scene, and the score really brought that out. Like we talked about before with uh, the choir, mainly like a lot of the male choir was really highlighted here, um, and especially even the low strings, the cello. Like mm -hmm. I, I think the of the cello My favorite. because it's just so deep. It's such a deep uh, sound. And um, it's just, it sends chills up your spine. It really does. To know how, how elegant. <laughs> I know that's weird to say, but this, the score piece along with the film is very elegant in its composition. You're, you, I, I totally agree with you. I do not deny any aspect of that. And you know, I liked how it was kind of married together. It it didn't distract from the scene. I think it added to the action and the tension and, you know, the, the mayhem uh, that was happening. And so, you know, it kind of highlighted the fact that, okay, this is my favorite score piece and it works well in the movie. I'm like, check, two boxes, check, check. <laughs> <laughs> this just works. Well, and, and the thing that really sold it was the look that, you know, Bill Paxton's given because, you know, supposedly he's the human barometer. And he's like, oh, it's here. And you can tell on his face. And Joe, she's looking up. She's, you know, completely enthralled and completely obsessed. And she's like, okay, something's off. And it just goes to show you, Randy, you were talking about how unpredictable they are. These are, at that time, you know, they're these are very smart people. This is what they do for a living. They chase these things. And for one to just pop up the way that it did without them even knowing it, just shows you the unpredictability of these of these you know weather systems and everything else and according to this is from the i mean imdb trivia according to urban legend a tornado hit a drive-in theater in stony creek or ontario while this movie was playing reality though a tornado hit a drive-in theater in thorold ontario on may 20th 1996 damaging a screen the movie was not playing when the tornado hit but it was scheduled to play that <laughs> evening see see so, you know we're, we're not up. the only ones. Yeah, exactly. You know. Fortuitous. Yeah, right. exactly. 
<laughs> so then, you know, you go past the drive-in sequence and then you get the finale sequence, which is still very awe-inspiring because you get the finger of God moment, the F5 tornado that was a mile wide, which they do have is those. a fact, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah they that do. I mean, that is not something exaggerated. No. There there have been reports, I think, of, I know of, like a two-mile wide. Yeah, they're yeah, they, they can be And they massive. run the ground for miles. They don't just hop and skip. No, they run the ground. Let's you see, can't uh, escape that. I, I was having a conversation about this film with someone because I was professing my love for this movie. And they were like, oh, I hate that movie. There's especially the whole sequence with the end and everything else. That, that wouldn't happen. I'm like, actually, yes, it would. There, there was a tornado that hit where I used to live in Selma, Alabama. It was a mile wide, and it stayed on the ground for I don't know how many miles. And as it was going up into the air, the tail end of it caught a trailer, which a friend of mine was in. Thankfully, they were okay, but it flipped the trailer several times onto his uh, mother's car, uh, completely totaling the car and everything else. And that tornado, I, I, I mean, I, I want to say it was at least three, four, five miles it stayed on the ground. And it was it was about a mile wide tornado, and then I'm trying to explain this to him, and that's when he was like, "Oh, I, I didn't know they do that." And I'm like, "You work at a news station, and you didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you listen to the weather every day." Exactly. I mean, yeah. so that and and this whole sequence was awesome to see visually. I think the only part that I didn't really like about it is, you know, them tying themselves off and seeing the inside of the tornado. Oh, that's, that's what they, I'm talking yeah. about the whole sequence where the tractors flying, you know, right, right, left, you know, and the, you got the tractors falling and then the, uh, the explosive tanker truck. Oh, I got a trivia part for that go too. For <laughs> I didn't write it down, but I remember it. Right, go for it. Um, so the first time <laughs> the tanker exploded, they didn't catch it on film. Oops. And so the director, <laughs> instead of telling the finance people that they didn't catch it on film, decided to refilm it and refilmed it to catch it, the exploding on film. And it cost $500,000 <laughs> just for the tanker explosion. Wow. <laughs> and now, and then you get the whole spinning house sequence. That was, they really dropped a house in front yeah. of them, I think on a crane. I remember yeah. uh, on, on this Worcester ride, because it opens up with Bill Paxton and, and Helen Hunt talking about this. And you can see little Bill Paxton's so excited to talk about this movie and everything else. And he's talking about, they really spun a house right in front of us, and we had to drive through it. And I was like, wow. Was that before or after Helen Hunt hurt herself? Because no, she this did, was before. Now, later she on in the hurt film, herself. there's a sequence where the Dodge, Randy, you talked about this one earlier, where the truck goes spinning into the air uh, when they release... <laughs> <laughs> when they released Dorothy and the sensors and everything else. Now, Helen Hunt actually got hurt in the sequence, and I was pointing it out to her. I, I don't, have you, did you know about this trivia where she actually hurt her, hurt her head? Yeah. All right. If you go back and watch the movie, um, well, you do, you do see it like she gets a gash. Right. I think. Uh, now, at some if, point. if you watch uh, the sequence where you got like the overhead shot and the truck is going through the, the cornfield toward the tornado. And Bill Paxton, they're counting down, you know, they're fixing the jump. If you look over at Helen Hunt, it's the final part right when they're, as they're jumping out. Most of the time, I just looked at Bill Paxton and saw him jumping out and everything else. No, if you look, you see Helen Hunt, the corn, the, the cornfield 
hits the door and it hits her on the head mm -hmm. and you see it for in the film and you see her kind of struggle there for a little bit and they, they had to stop production for the rest of the day because she was talking about she had a headache and everything else that had to Concussion, hurt probably probably yeah. more than likely yeah. uh that had to hurt almost almost as much as the actual ice chips and debris that they shot at them from a boeing 747 jet engine for the sequence for the <laughs> For the jumper sequence. Yeah. Not the, kidding. They all used, that wind. Yeah, they used, they used a Boeing 747 uh -huh. jet engine to for shoot the wind. ice chips and uh, branches at Bill Paxton. And he goes, even though it's lightweight stuff, it, it still hits. It still hurts. And like the sequence where he rams him say, his face into the truck when yeah, she you know stopped her heart. That had to hurt. That had to hurt. Oh, man, that had to hurt. <laughs> uh, so, Randy, you got any more trivia or anything? Um, nothing too much. Uh, I just, I really appreciate this film and the, uh, the production value of a lot of it. And, um, I love the practicality of the effects. Yes. Like so uh, for I. the majority, for the majority of the film, you're seeing it with practicality. Uh, the only real sequences of CGI or like when the wind's blowing and it's carrying, some animal right <laughs> like cow. a cow yeah uh, cow. Cow. another cow or or Woo. a couple of the twisters i think were computer generated um but some of that but even those you can't really tell real, so. right yeah and yeah you and can't I'm... tell no because it's done so well and right it's, and it's and you it's it's seamless in a lot of ways um but this this movie is just really well put together the production value is really high to me and um it just shows a testament to practical effects over computer effects yeah i agree. i love practicality whenever they use it i love the art form especially in the old black and white films that they had to use to create effects because you know you you didn't have the use of color so they had to create effects in a different way i love that art form Visual. because it is an art form in itself to create mm -hmm. those practical effects. So um, anytime they use practicality in a film, I get excited because yeah. it's, it's old school stuff. I love it. Yeah, same here. Oh, yeah. Same here. And, I, I, and the film, you know, it plays long. And going back and watching it again, the, the only sequence to me that really kind of I'm kind of eh on is you mentioned it, Leslie, where the, um, the very end of the film where the tornado has them. They're they're strapped in, you know. They're flying through the air, which they actually hung Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt upside down for the sequence, for the ending sequence, where it looks like the tornado has them and their feet are flying up through the air and everything else. I'm sorry. I think they would have been hurt severely <laughs> from this F5 tornado yeah, right? that destroyed everything in front of them. Been they would have been bored or yeah, something. I mean, uh, now granted, they may have survived it because there are stories of people, you know, surviving, you know, tornadoes that size and everything else and just being blown, you know, across the street or something and they're completely fine. Maybe it cuts some bruises, but yeah, I mean, come on. They would have had something uh, flying against them. They would have been hurt, you know. Uh, come on. That was the only <laughs> part in this whole movie where I was going, eh. No, no, they would have been hurt. They would, you know, come on, make it a little bit more realistic. But overall, it, it works. It, the the <laughs> film is an absolute joy still to this day. And it is not one of those films that I'm watching with rose tinted glasses where it's just like, 
Oh, sport from my childhood. No, but it's, maybe it's, he is everybody. No, to listen to no, him. no. It's a solid <laughs> film. It really is. You know, it is a solid film. And Randy even said himself, it, it works. It, there are a lot, so many moments with this film that just they just work. You you cannot sit there and watch this movie and say that it was not well made. It was not put together, you know, with love. And you know, it just it works. It's a great movie. Fight me. I'm not fighting you. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> All right. So at the end of every episode, what we do, we have, we base the entire score and the film down to three questions. The first one is, does it work for the film? I'm sure we all know the answer to this, but Randy, does I'll the let score you go. work for the film? Yeah. Randy, we'll let you go first since you're our guest. Yes. <laughs> Mr. One Word himself, ladies and gentlemen. Perfect. Well, hey, I, (laughs) granted, I talk a lot more on my podcast because uh, it's my podcast. Right, right, However, I am a guest. No, no, your one word answers are perfect. I love them. (laughs) They, They work so well for this i mean it's just i love it i think he made his point though throughout the the whole episode no, how much he loved the score especially yeah you know so one word per- work perfect yes it's just a summation right. it it does because like there's so many elements of the score that just work so well for the film um i like how mark really gave like i i love this about the movie is that Mark gave the 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 score to where the tornadoes have personality, like like you mentioned, like each one has a name, mm-hmm. like oh, there's the twins, or there's the water water spout, or there's there's the F five, you know, that's our monster tornado. Right. Um, they all have names, so Mark represents in the score the different elements for those tornadoes with different parts of motifs or different right. elements of of the score to help us see oh this is a different tornado this isn't one like we've experienced before so uh that is something that was you know really unique so leslie does it does the score work for the film yes <laughs> <laughs> see what i did there Love it. No. I did. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it, I think, uh, you know, uh, Randy had a, a wonderful point that he gave the storm soul. He gave him a soul. And um, you've got this, this personality. They, they behave differently. You can hear it in the score. It's reflected in the score. Um, the pieces in the score, they don't overpower um the actor's dialogue, the score pieces complement them in a way. It builds suspense where it does. And the lack of score in place is also uh, adds to that and builds suspense. So, yes, I think the score works wonderfully with the film and, you know, does the job it's supposed to do. Now, Chris? Yes. <laughs> it, it, it does. No, seriously, the, the score absolutely works for this film. It is a just like the film itself, it is a complete joy from start to finish. Uh, I would say the only, um, you know, score piece listening to it on its own that kind of does not work for the film, uh, although it was good to listen on its own, is the Finger of God uh, part. But like I said, they cut that out of the film itself. 
So, yeah, this is the, you know, definitely, this score definitely works for this film. So, we move on to our second question. Favorite scene, favorite score. Now, we kind of touched upon it as it is, but let's just go ahead and hear it again. Randy, we're going to let you go again, buddy. What's your favorite scene and favorite score piece? Actually. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Gonna be more than one word. Um, well, it is. It is. Uh, I have two. Go for okay. it. I have to. I have to bring up Wheatfields because it has so much representation for me uh, with the heightened awareness of the score. Um, how it begins, uh, the the exhilaration and the utter fun. Like I, I just. I knew like when I listened to the score, it's like, oh, this score is going to be amazing. And even in the film, it works. It works so well because like you can see the utter excitement of the the actors, the characters in the film as they're ramping up. They're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, they're getting all excited because this is part of their job, but they also enjoy it's a passion for them. And so it's 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 one of those scenes that just really works well in the movie. Um, it 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 draws you closer to those those characters in the movie. Uh, it gives them personality. It gives them character. Um, they aren't just a one trick pony. Yeah, they're they're more than the sum of their parts. And then of course uh, the drive in theater scene. Um, which we've talked extensively about because it's so elemental to uh, the terror that we can feel when we've experienced a tornado. Okay. Leslie? So my question, my answer is going to be a little bit different Uh from my favorite scene. Oh, no. And we didn't touch upon this. Oh, dear. (laughs) I really like the fact how they kind of amped up the villain in this film. Anytime you see him, he's got like... Talking about Kyrie Yes. Anytime you see him, stereotypical. He's got a smug look on his face. He's really smug. He's, you know, like Luigi staring them down <laughs> as he's driving past them, kind of, you the know. Luigi death stare. Yes, he's oh, giving him the Luigi death stare. Just brought that in. I'm a nerd. What can oh, I say? That's awesome. But this you see him in you. a stereotypical black, and it's like all the scenes you ever see him in, and he's in that convoy, and he's just got this <laughs> smug look on his face. I really like that part of the movie because like, it just it's made like me. him of psych. Right. Like yeah. him in psych. Yeah. Like he's. Yeah. Just made he's me giggle. Comedic. He's right. comedic in that in this movie as even though he's a villain. Right. Right. He is. <laughs> you hate his hilarious. guts. You hate his guts. Yeah. You do. But yet on the flip side, he's kind of funny. He just. Well, yeah. And the thing is like, all right. So you get the whole diner sequence where he's just like, oh, I'm just, you know, kind of curious which way you're heading. And she's like southeast, I think, to the counter. Right. I, I never paid attention to that. But she was talking about she's heading to the counter to order the coffee. And I was like, ah. and he's just like, oh, OK. I, you know, and I'm just like. And then the whole thing where he's talking about the dot three on TV right. and everything else, and then they he's make... kind of a schmuck, right? Exactly. There you, you go. Know. He he's a he's a very well, you know, well acted schmuck. And then you know, on the flip side, spoiler alert, everybody, if you haven't seen the movie, you know, when he the death scene at the end, you know, he got his he got what was it's due rough. to him. It was rough. Yeah, you're kind of upset that he died. 
but it was still goes back to okay here you've got this quintessential evil guy and he got his payment in the end so it kind of like there was a moral to the story sort of thing too to it and which, there was the warning of tornadoes right the importance to heed those warnings right and, and the thing i really liked about that <laughs> moment with bill paxton's character you know he was really trying to warn them he was like you know jonas you know don't you know come on man turn around he's like eddie i know you can hear me turn around now and then he cuts him off he cuts the radio off and it's like you idiot you dumb dumb you know you moron this is your fault so yeah i think it's this compilation of his scenes were like my favorite part of the movie because of just the the comicalness about it he's like a typical you know um uh antagonist yeah. <laughs> right right yeah yeah, yeah. You know, the mustache yes. yeah oh, i love it bull eagle you know yeah there we very go. typical um you know <laughs> now we've discussed our favorite score piece and it mine's the same it is the drive-in theater piece i love it and the fact that it there's an elegantness to it um it builds the tension uh he he makes uh these um crescendo and decrescendos uh, to gives you that that feeling of the twister to me it's just it was wonderfully done and it's my favorite piece so all right so i have two like scenes that really stand out to me that are my favorites um that's me yeah yeah so the first (laughs) one i i really like the sequence of the second tornado where you know they're the the dodge is pulling up next to jonas and the you know the evil team and everything else and they see the tornado and then bill paxton just you know that's when you see this human barometer moment kind of take over and that's when he's stopping and he's like you know always going to shift his track and he's like are you sure he's like oh yeah it's definitely a sidewinder and it's like how did you know this just from looking that's awesome you know then the truck backs up and you know and then you know you get that whole fun sequence with the cow and everything later on but that whole sequence before the cow i really like that moment because you know you, you see all the other the convoy you know the rest of the rebel group as i like to call them and you got the 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 camper on the back of that one truck is like swaying back and forth <laughs> in the mud you know in mud yep. spray i love that sequence it, it was what is of, this this is like bob's road <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and i mean and of course any any moment with alan ruck in there as rabbit you know i mean come on he's like right beyond the brush right all right well what's beyond that beyond what the, the bearded lady the brush you know and he's like oh it's the highway it's the highway you know then they're driving through a field for crying out loud uh and of course my uh you know another favorite scene is the drive-in sequence and then that score has got to be my favorite although i do mm-hmm. like the first twister score when the first tornado pops up and the music builds up really fast and everything else because like i said i used to watch the behind the scenes making a lot and that one score piece was the ending track on the behind the scenes and it it's so fast-paced it's so moving and it, it really gets you into the moment but the drive-in theater sequence that was that was the real highlight score right. for me i consider that's probably the climax of the movie too that point right mm-hmm. there so we always end it with the last question what could have been done differently randy exit the cow <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> love it love it it it, it sums it up because yep. everything else about it is perfect. Yep. Leslie? So, you know, I briefly mentioned I didn't like the end sequence where they're tied to the pipe and you see the inside tornado. I felt like they could have kind of left that to your imagination and not show the top of the tornado or how the inside looked at, you know, 
you know, we've talked about like in Jaws, for example, you don't see Jaws throughout the whole movie to know that he's there. Um, and then you start imagining what, what does this big shark look like? What, you know, what does he look like? I, I think that they could have left that part a little bit more to the imagination instead of trying to show the center of the, of the, the twister. But besides that, no, I wouldn't have changed anything else with the oh, movie. I liked it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think the whole indie sequence with the pipe, I think, you know, some, something, I don't know. I mean, at the time when I first watched it, it was amazing. I love that sequence. But now <laughs> it's like, eh, maybe I've grown up. But as you <laughs> maybe notice, grown up. Hold up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, as you notice, normally with that last question, what we do is what what could have been done differently with the score? We didn't do that this time around because the score was amazing right? on its own. <laughs> right. And it worked wonderfully for the film and nothing could have been done differently. I'm so glad Randy picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So no, seriously, yeah, nothing really. I agree. Um, nothing really could have been done. I, I was really better. hoping you were going to pick up on that when I when I asked you yeah. that question. So <laughs> kudos. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's so good. He, so he's like, ah, oh, we're just going to talk about the film. I love that. I'm I'm glad you picked <laughs> up on that. So no, seriously, the the score was fantastic, and and it was a beautiful merriment of the score working oh. wonderfully with the film, Randy. You got Here's something that I loved about the ending piece, uh, Respect the Wind. Oh, yes. Um, in the film, you have the the role, the credits going, but throughout the whole credit scene, you have scenes of real storms yes. happening. And um, and those are like uh fast motion or time lapse, time lapse filming yes uh sh showing the the intense speed of how they develop and how big they get or or then there's other storms that roll in and and it really showed the brilliance of eddie van halen doing that piece while that's going on and it's just it was really unique and you there's i don't think there's ever been a movie since that that has displayed it so beautifully yeah, and and yeah, I I actually can't add anything to it because you you just said it wonderfully. So again, kudos, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our thoughts on the score in the film Twister, which was released in 1995. Uh, Jan de you know, Six. coming. Yeah, 1996. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I keep wanting to say <laughs> it was not 95. It was I keep I keep saying I don't released. know why I'm saying 95. I'm I'm tired because it's a five. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we need to see something from 1995 maybe that's right. what it is <laughs> we see what was released in 95 right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but so yeah the, the film just works uh but although there is one thing i'm very sad about this movie the sequence in the trailer with the trailer with the tractor tire going through the windshield was not in the movie that was the one selling point of the trailer and it's not in the movie because it was a test footage a test special effect just to see if the whole sequence would work and it's not in the movie that was the one thing that me and my mom wanted to see in this movie because it's like oh this is gonna be great and that sequence was not in there i'm like what happened and then i didn't find out till like maybe a couple years ago that that was the whole reason why and i was like very sad also very sad, sad that bill panda yeah very sad panda also very sad though that uh bill paxton tried for years to get a sequel made to twister he wanted hmm. to do one, uh, which the character, the actor that plays a uh, preacher, um, 
he was really good friends with Bill Paxton. They also did location scouting for Twister Two. Bill Paxton, a very avid um, uh, person about of, of uh, like crime scene photos and uh, tornado uh, photos and stuff like that. He he really wanted to incorporate something you know uh, like that for Twister Two, and he wanted to shoot it in three D and everything else. And then sadly, he was uh, taken away. And then we got the news that they are planning to remake Twister with uh, Joseph Kaczynski, who is doing the new Top Gun film. Now, although I really like Joseph Kaczynski, I mean, he's he's a great director. He did the sec- second Tron movie. He's doing the new Top Gun, which looks really good. You know, Hans Zimmer, Harold Faltermeyer is coming back to do the score. Eh, eh. All right. So, but. Yay, Faltermeyer. Yay. But uh, I don't see. I don't see how this film would work, and especially if they don't have Mark Mantino's score, which I'm pretty sure they won't. I, I don't see this film working as, as much as I would have loved to see in a sequel. I know the sequel would I don't not think have, it'll get made. I don't think it will either. I don't either. think it'll get made. I really don't either. Sad thing that, you know, granted, I, I feel like some movies do need to be remade, but I feel like... When you remake a movie, you take an original idea and just regurgitate it. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. original. And, you know, an example is I love the original Clash of the Titans. It's one of my favorite movies. And I was kind of excited when I found out that they were remaking it. I'm like, well, perfect. You know, we'll have additional special effects, you know, because Uh-oh. the original had claymation and everything. I know where you're going with this one. Right. You know exactly where I'm going with this one. I know it. Just go ahead. Get I it started to watch the movie, and I'm like, "This is crap. <laughs> this is this is utter garbage." And then when they held up poor Bubo and he throws him in the there pile of trash, I was even more upset. I'm like, "The owl was an important part of the movie. Why did you do that? You just took that element out of there." It's <laughs> also important to the mythological right, um, right. story. So I was so, not yeah. happy, and you know. That's my general feel about remakes. Is that example I just gave? And Be- I, I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. They have to be. They have to be done in the right way. Right. If they're going to do a sequel or a remake, uh, such as doing Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile, those are two recent examples that actually were done very, very well. Um, but yeah, there's examples that. Right. Oh yeah. And that one's a good example. I I just did not like to remake at all. It's just now the score is a different story. I love the score to Clash of the Titan, the remake. Um so Ramin Jawadi. Yes. Oh yes. I really I have it. I listen to it uh, in the car. Because you know, my car is antiquated now. It still has a CD ROM. Uh <laughs> CD ROM. Excuse me. C D. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so has it got a floppy disc in Shut there up. too, buddy? Shut up. I mean <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah. So so there there's been a, another tornado film into the storm and oh, uh, oh. and and you had the wonderful oh. Brian Tyler come in and do the score and I'm sorry I, I like Brian Tyler for the most part. Uh there have been some scores of his that you know eh, this score in particular was one of those scores. It, there was no heart, there was no real theme in there. It, it did not have that twister sound it did not have a you know there there's no heart of a tornado in the score and everything else and the film itself was just an absolute mess of a movie it wasn't it was not organic no there was no organic uh movements with the score there was it's just uh there's there only like maybe like 
a couple of sequences in there that I do remember that were, you know, like really well done. But overall, the the film just had no heart, and the score really reflected that. So this is another uh, this that should tell you right there that remaking Twister is going to be a bad idea if they do actually go forward with it. Yeah. So so everybody, so that's our thoughts on Twister. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, this has been a blast. Seriously, man. Uh, and uh. I, I thank you for sharing that story about the the theater. I mean, that was oh yeah, uh, that was great. That actually has it, it's <laughs> for me. It even is a sore spot, right? When when people talk about oh what they're gonna do, what are they doing with that parking lot over there? I'm like, well, it used to be a movie theater, <laughs> and I'm like, my favorite theater about it. <laughs> right? It's like it was. It, it's a source of like deep seated rage because they they like eliminated That's silent rage a, well it's like a it's like a historical monument in it's, a way it's not silent rage anymore like, you just let it know no that's right <laughs> that's true now it's on a podcast exactly right. so the whole world will hear it um, exactly. yeah as they should and, and and if if people people from omaha are listening they know exactly who uh, got that theater demolished. Exactly. So. so, Randy, real quick, tell our listeners where they can find you, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine yards, and uh, okay. tell us again where they can find Sazerac Alley and um, who you're a part of. Okay, so you can find me through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Soundtrack Alley. Um you can also listen to my podcast on any podcaster. Um, you can also uh, listen to me over on Cinematic Sound Radio. Uh, my show is shifting a little bit. Um, it's going to get renamed a little bit to show a differentiation between my personal show, Soundtrack Alley, and what my show has started to become over on cinematic sound. Um, I'm still not sure what they're, what we're calling it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm still working with Eric on that, Um, but it's over there. I've got at least, I think 12 episodes up. Um, A lot of those are very essential movies that I think everyone should see. Um, we've done Alien, Aliens, we did uh, Jurassic Park, Waterworld, which holds a special place in my heart, um, Stargate. Um, I like Stargate. Several others. Yeah, we did We did several others so far on that um, you did the podcast Goonies. network. Didn't you do the Goonies? Uh, no. Oh, what? I thought you did the Goonies. I did the Goonies over on my on my regular. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm sorry. That's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) I I remember the Goonies in there somewhere. That's in my top three. My (laughs) wife and I got to see that as a movie party. Oh, nice! It was a lot of fun. Yeah, nice. Nice. But uh, then I also do another podcast called Anime Spectacular, and that's over on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network as well, where I focus on about four different animes that I've personally seen. And then I've examined the score and play 
parts of the score for um, listener enjoyment. Uh, one of the more recent episodes, and I, I have to bring this up because it really is an amazing score. Um, it's, uh, it's called Blood of Zeus. Okay. The, the anime is called Blood of Zeus. It's only 12 episodes long. Um, but the score is representative of Nicholas Roja oh. um, style, that style. Um, it's by Paul Edward Francis, that I believe. That sounds familiar. I think I've heard of the composer before. So I think it's Paul Edward Francis. Where can we find a Blood of Zeus? Is it on? Uh, on, on, on Netflix. Fantastic, because okay, I'm about great. to look it up after we get off You here. can see it on Netflix. Um, but it it has this like really epic fantasy Greek mythology element to it. Um, it it's really brilliant. It it actually yep. is very very well done, and it it's it's highly dramatic. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's I just so found it. it. It it looks really amazing. Mm-hmm. The the animation it of it really it, is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very well done. Um, I highly recommend it. If if you know, if I were talking about an anime that I should recommend, is it's Blood of Zeus because it's it's really fascinating and the score is just like, oh my goodness, it just blows you away. It's yeah. just phenomenal. We'll, def- we'll definitely have to check that one out. So, yeah. So guys, seriously. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously take a moment and and check out randy uh at soundtrack alley and you know anime spectacular and also just check out cinematic sound radio in general Uh, they Mm -hmm. they have a ton of great podcasts uh like randy and there's (laughs) 10 different shows exactly and they're all dedicated to film scores correct i mean Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i mean that that's that's awesome so guys after you listen to this episode go check them out and we'll probably have a link to the description in the episode below and of course, you can always find us on any podcast platform, pretty much. Spotcast, Apple, you know. Spotcast. Spotcast. We're going to go to that. Spotcast. <laughs> That's where we're going to meet uh, um, Jeb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeb. Yeah. Jeb's going to be at the Spotcast. Yeah, Jeb. Jeb. Yeah. Oh, Jeb, excuse me. Johnny if, Jeb. If you don't know Jeb. what we're talking about, go listen to the Sleepy Hollow episode, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Spotcast, you know, Apple Lulz, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm very tired. It's been a long day. Okay. So yeah. And also you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook, just type in and Instagram as well. Just type in measuring the score podcast, Twitter. We are at measure the score. Sorry. You know, when I was typing the name up, that's what Twitter gave me. Also, you can send us an email at measuring the score at gmail.com. Guys, just, you know, leave us a rate and review on Apple and Spotify, Spotify cast about the show. Just tell us what you think. Also uh, check out, soundtrack alley and leave them a very nice glowing review because um he deserves it he's awesome and thank you again for having me on the show thank you for coming on man i I know it's been a while and we ran into a lot of problems but thank you for joining us here on measuring the score Mm -hmm. leslie you got anything to add no not really besides my spot for cast yes okay No, we enjoyed having you on, Randy, and we hope that, you know, we can collaborate again in the future. Um, yes, definitely. We had a good time today, so. So, as always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Have a good one. <laughs>